Hey guys, Ian here with another episode of Unleashed and Unhinged, the podcast where we talk about all things dog. Dog training, dog behaviour, dog health, literally anything you can think about when it comes to dogs, we'll talk about on here. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for tuning in again. Um, today, what are we talking about? We're talking about human expectations on dogs and their behaviour. Um, and, well, just dogs in general. Yeah. So expectations of how they behave in certain environments, things that they should or shouldn't do, things that they can or can't do, um, which basically, for me, just comes down to the lack of understanding of the dog itself. So you're saying they're really high? Too high. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Just, yeah. You, you know, sometimes you, you know, people, and we look, we all do it. I had high expectations. I put way too higher expectations on Art when I first got him because I was just new into training and I was like, I'm going to do all of these things and things and put him in situations that he was not coping in and rather than stop and look at myself in the mirror and go, what are you doing? Mm. I got frustrated at him. I'll be honest, I got frustrated at him. I didn't um, acknowledge that it was my expectations and my inability to read him. Yeah. Um, So I would get frustrated with him, like, to the point, like, for fuck's sake, Archie, you know how to do this. Oh, God, yeah. Like, Otis, 100% I've done that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, and it's all, look, we, we life is about learning through your mistakes. If, if you don't learn through your mistakes, well. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Like, I'm uh, going to leave that one alone. Only so much anybody can help that. Yeah. But, yeah, I do find um, I find the same situation where people's expectations of their dogs are pretty remarkably high. Um, in and for so many, for such a huge range of things as well, mm. you know, like I want my simple things and so simple concepts such as I want my dog's behaviour to change, but I don't want to change where they live, where we take them, what we do with them, or anything about my own behaviour, I see really, really high expectations of puppies. Oh. Where, you know, this dog is potentially only, you know, a few weeks old, and why can't it hold through the night? Think about what a human baby can do and compare it and be just very grateful that it's a dog and it's doing really well. It does seem to start from the very beginning, because I know... It- as you know you just said and even many of us um in the training industry and i look i think it comes from somewhere right this expectation comes from somewhere whether it comes from old ideology um lack of understanding and knowledge of dogs and their developmental stages lack of understanding of dogs but you know getting a puppy putting it in a massive open living space with one piddle pad 10 metres away from where it sleeps and expecting it 
to navigate its way through the couch, the dining table, the side chair, the kitchen bench, anything else that they have on the floor to make it... To to, that exact spot. To that exact spot and hold it when it doesn't actually have the physical... Mm. Physicality in terms of its muscles to hold yeah. that way or, you know. It's, you know, in terms of where those expectations come from, I think, because it's not on people, it's on dog trainers. Mm. Because unfortunately, if you look at dog training traditionally, it has always been about the dog trainer comes in to change the dog's behavior. Fix. Fixes it, Right. And there are still people out there, still dog trainers out there, selling that model because it is easy to sell, right? In the sense that, well, if your dog's doing X, well, we've got a solution for that. If you just make it do ABC instead of X, then your problem will be solved. But it just doesn't work like that. That would be like a dietitian, a nutritionist, a personal psychologist, a personal trainer, business coach, you know, giving advice and saying, I guarantee that this is going to work for you. But then the person going away and not doing it. So a personal saying, personal trainer saying, you can lose five kilos in a week. And person goes and trains for, does three sessions in that week, so three hours out of an entire seven days. Mm. And then that person goes away and spends that seven days eating Maccas and Pizza Hut and mm. cases of beer. Yeah. That person's not going to lose five kilos. Highly likely they'll gain a five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But what that selling point of, of you will lose five kilos doesn't give any explanation, doesn't say... If you, mm. you will lose five kilos. If you exercise every day outside of the times you come and see me, change your diet so it is nutritionally viable for you for weight loss. Yeah. Watch what you, watch what you drink. Make sure you sleep. <laughs> Having all of those outlines, and even then you still can't give it a guarantee because you've got, you might have someone who has a very slow metabolism. Well, understanding that, like, yeah, like, if, if that's the expectation, if that's what you're selling, but, like, what's the recipe to get there, right? Is it actually healthy for the dog? Mm-hmm. Because somebody could also say, don't worry about eating right, don't worry about exercise, just take a load of laxatives, right? <laughs> you might still lose five kilos. Well, not for long. Exactly, right? And those... It's not a good solution, is my point. Ow. Um, <laughs> right? So, the... You know, the methodology on how you get there is got to be ethical. It's got to be practical. It's got to actually be healthy. And like that help, that word healthy, it's like for the entire family, like for the dog, for you, like don't break down relationships, don't compromise mm. the welfare of the individual, either individual mm. in the process. But it has to be individual, right? So if you, you know, even if you're looking at puppies now... If you've got someone who lives in a big open plan area, like I explained before, yeah, you know, you're not going to just go off. Off air, by the way, guys. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't missed them. You're not just going to say, okay, I just want to cover your entire floor with piddle pads. Mm. Because that's just not feasible. Plus, you know, then getting the puppy to pick a spot could take a long time and, 
So for that, you might say, okay, well, we're going to get a play, puppy playpen for this puppy and that's where we're going to condition it to sleep or acclimatise it to sleeping. Oh, that, that, and you hadn't, you, that wasn't off there. I completely missed that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were talking about the other one off there, but okay, yeah. No, Sorry, no, no, that's no, my that, mistake. No, not that one. Just confused the shit out of everybody. Yeah, don't worry, just cut that one. Um, so for that puppy, you would go, okay, f- we're going to put a, a playpen here and, you know, you might put a fake or real grass in there. Yeah. But then if it was someone, you know, who lived in a carpeted area... But they had an ensuite bathroom. Okay, well, how about the, the puppy sleeps in the ensuite bathroom? Mm. Where if they do toilet, and I don't like it when people say accident because it's not an accident when someone goes to the toilet. No, no, but yes. You can, you can have accidents. But when a puppy yeah, yeah. toilets, it's they're just toileting and they're yeah. not having an accident, right? So if for that person, you would probably say, okay, well, Let's try the ensuite bathroom. Is that okay with you? Mm-hmm. And we might put down a piddle pad so that then we can start to get the, the puppy used to that particular surface and slowly and gradually we'll move that to another area or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. But if it's in an apartment block, they might then have to take the puppy downstairs. Right? So looking at what the needs are for, obviously, the puppy to make sure that the environment is is set up for it to learn. Mm. So, yeah, it's what level of containment do we need to be able to set up an environment where this dog's chances of failure are minimal? Well, yeah, it's it's like, but, you know, then what what is failure? Well, uh, failure in that context would be ping on something that is absorbent, I guess, <laughs> in the home. <laughs> but, like... Like but a dressing gown. Yeah. It's... So, yeah, in terms of... Like, you know, managing expectations for people on that. Like, I think a fundamental thing to understand is, and I was listening to Hannah Brannigan's podcast. I've been listening to that for a long time. I love it. Um, they, she said something, and I think she, well, we all learn something from somebody else, don't we? Of course, somebody else. Um, but she said, that we have to remember that the only individual whose behavior we're actually in control of is our own. So if we aim to change our dog's behaviour, there has to be an expectation that first, the first change has to be us. Mm. And that might be something like managing the environment, taking them to places where they can succeed. So if your dog gets overwhelmed in busy streets and can't walk on the lead next to you without bucking like a kangaroo, then we probably do need to change the expectation of our dog being able to walk perfectly there without doing the groundwork and, the, and all the work prior mm. by training a desirable behaviour like walking next to you in a quieter environment. But that, in order to do that, the only, the, only, the only person that can make that change, the only individual that can make that change isn't the dog. The dog didn't choose to be in the stimulated environment in the first place. Yeah. The dog didn't choose to be left with unlimited access to the entire house in the mm. first place like we're the ones that have to be accountable for m- managing those that environment for the dog yeah well that's it if you you know and when you explain to people that especially in that um situation you s- described with having a dog that is stimulus sensitive 
and may start to jump or lunge or, you know, and not necessarily in a, an aggressive way. They are just overstimulated and they're not coping. Yeah. So they're pulling on the lead, they're jumping, they're, you know, running between the caregiver's legs or, you know, whatever the, the behaviour might be. Explaining to caregivers that, okay, does your dog do this at home? Mm. No. <laughs> yeah. But they do it when you put the dog in this particular environment. Yes. Okay. Let's break that down for a second. How about we start to lay the foundation? Because I think it's also the, the lack of understanding of what's going on neurologically for any living being to mm. learn a new behaviour. So when we're, if I'm explaining to a client, it's like, it's not that I just, you know, manipulate, lure the dog into these behaviours and all of a sudden the brain goes, I get it now. You know, it is about having that, I mean, you rarely get the perfect situation, but some, you know, if you can, you can set that up. But allowing that brain to have those new neural pathways start to set off where you get that synapsis enough for it to become a memory, it needs to have that whole entire focus. And mm. I think there are people, not as many as there used to be, that are now actually standing back and having an understanding that that is how any living being works. It's not about someone just coming in and going, you need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and now the dog is fixed. Yeah. It's standing back and going, because I say to clients, what you want to see is learning happening. Mm-hmm. So when we are giving the feedback and information to the dog, we want to see fluidity in their movement of the things we have just taught them. If there isn't any fluidity, if there's latency, then there is, we're not, it's not solid yet. Yep. So we're constantly asking the dog a question. How, do you understand this? And if it's, if the dog's like, um, we go, okay, well, you, we haven't mm-hmm. got it that yet. So allowing caregivers to or giving them the information to go okay this is what our expectation of this dog right now is to feel safe and have the ability that we have created or facilitated that they can actually learn this new behavior to then build them up to go out into the big scary wild and be able to cope enough to think about and respond as opposed to well this, yeah, talking, working with a little alpha, little puppy just there. And awesome, awesome client because uh, when explained to them what the expectations were of alpha outside the house, he just went, yeah, cool. Yeah, love that because now he understands alpha's needs. We left the house and we explained to him, to the client, there's not much chance of us getting Elva's attention out here on the walk, on the street, because we haven't actually trained that strongly enough out here. So we're not even going to ask her to yet. We can practice holding her attention, cueing the fundamentals of like fundamental behaviors inside the home. And we can even start doing that on the grass outside your apartment because we're at that point, which is awesome. But out on the walk, we're not we're not going to hold the same expectations because there's far more distractions. Mm. So when I explained that to him and he said, well, what do we do instead? I said, well, you let her sniff because the more confident she grows in her environments, uh, environment, the more relaxed she'll be, the more, more able she'll be to respond to you in the future. And he went, yeah, makes sense. 
Easy. And I love this. This guy was 80 years old. And by his own admission, can be set in his ways. He's had dogs all of his life. But he went, yeah, cool. I understand it. And I get it. I'd like to be treated that way. And it would be bloody awesome. And that, but that's, that is, you know, and it just kind of made me think about, so the amateur theatre that I do, right? Mm. It would be like our director coming out and giving us a play and going, okay, you guys have got to learn your lines in front of this audience. Mm. No. <laughs> yeah. Hell no. I'm going to be looking out going, hi. <laughs> what am I saying? No. Because my brain is going to be, these people are watching me, these people are judging me. Mm. I have to perform in a particular way. Yep. And that is where my brain and focus is going to be. I'm not going to take in a single word of what's in front of me because the distraction and how it's making me feel, because I'll be anxious, I'll be nervous, I'm going to feel judged, Mm. is taking every ability of, of, of my brain away to go... Because I wouldn't be able to go. Okay, let's just breathe and focus on <laughs> focus on your lines. It for me that that would that's what you know some of the well, situations. That's yeah, that's a similar 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 situations that we sometimes put puppies in. You know, taking a puppy out and going right. I'm going to teach you to sit, stay, drop, come, lie down, and high five. With you know, when I used to instruct down at the, mm. the dog club. Yeah, we had one class of puppies one day. It was 20, 20 puppies. Because people would turn up and they're like, okay, Dom, here's your 20. And, you know, such and such, here's your 10 or 20. Yep. And so you've got this circle of poor little eight-week-old puppies going far out. <laughs> and then they're trying to get information from the owners. So you get the ones that are jumping up on their owners going, please, 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 help me, please, please. And there's us shoveling food in their faces. And, you know, and some of those puppies just, a lot of those 20 so I would start a six-week course with 20 and I'd end up with five. Yeah. Because it was too much. It was too much for the owners. It was too much for the, for the puppies. And that brings us on to the other thing then because the narrative around those classes as well, and I'm not saying that, not that it was on you because I know that you were just a teacher in the system, but those classes, the narrative that, uh, of, well, it failed puppy school. Yeah, which makes the caregivers walk away going, oh, yeah. I've got a dud. Yeah. And even the language around, and this is one of my pet peeves in, in people and dogs in general, uh, not people, because again, it's not on the average dog owner, but it's on this narrative of whether or not it's a good dog or they're being bad. And there's no such thing either way. They're not moral. But like when we see behavior, that lens of, yeah, he's being good. He's being good right now automatically sets them up for fail mm. if all of a sudden they're not doing that behaviour anymore. Well, he's being bad, obviously, so correct him. And that in itself then sets people up with a... We've talked in the past... With an expectation. With expectation. Because it's a narrative. Mm. We've talked about in the past about how important... Slang, important... I can't speak again. Just, when, do, do you know what I'm doing? You, you've usual. done really well. I right. mean, you've, you've done a whole, like, almost half an hour without oh, a fumble. Well shit. done. Yeah, I don't have one earlier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, that uh, language matters. And mm. what it does is it starts a... You only have to use the wrong language or inappropriate language once but it starts a narrative in your head because as soon as you think well he failed or he's bad 
or he's naughty or he's stubborn or he's dominant or oh, he's just this, mm. then automatically we are taking... It's not helpful. No, but is it... it and it, and it sets an expectation of that dog yeah. of, yeah, well, he's just a bad dog mm. and I'll see he's, he's just a dominant dog or he's a naughty dog or, you know, he's a bully... Which then, if the dog does something that we as humans label as bad, naughty, dominant or bully, self reinforces the human's expectation and lens of how they see the dog, which then changes how they behave towards the dog. Yes. So when they are working with the dog, they are working it from that Lens, label, umbrella term of, well, it's just a bad dog. So, you know, if I yank it, poke it, prod it, it deserves it, right? Yeah, it deserves it, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, avoid labels. Unlabel me, Dr. Susan Freeman. Love you. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, but, and realistically, I have, I mean, just have the, go easy on them on the expectations. They are dogs living in a human world, don't know the rules. Not trying to break them, not trying to be assholes. Just genuinely trying to get by most of the time. Well, yeah, I mean, think <laughs> All about. The time. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I just I was at the shops before in um, shopping centre, and you know there was a dog, and the dog was beautiful, sitting there quietly. But there was a bit of look of shock on this dog's face. It was tied up outside a very busy shop. I'm not going to name them, and. As I walked past, the thought came in my head. I was like, the things we do with our dogs, Mm. the expectation of, oh, it'll be fine, I'll just tie it up outside this shop and, you know, 75, because it is also the entrance from the car park as well, so it's the exit of the shop, it's at the bottom of the escalators, at the entrance of where the car park is, Mm. and this dog is, you know, the vigilance in this dog, but the average person would go, oh, isn't he well-behaved? Yeah. It was... um Ian Dunbar said something that is really sad, but it's really true. Yeah. It's like that one of the things, one of the things that makes dogs so easy to live with is really unfortunate, but they're just so beatable. Yeah. And that's really shit. It's terrible. But the things that dogs tolerate from us is ridiculous. Like, just tie up. Why can't my dog be tied up outside a shop is not something I particularly ever want to be asked, but I do get asked far too often. Oh, yeah, when I've had people, can you teach uh, my dog to be okay tied up out of a shop? No. No, I just can't. I don't want to do that. No. I well, can teach your dog. Tie, tie your two-year-old up outside <laughs> and see how that goes. Yeah, uh, I can teach you how to teach your dog to stay. I can teach you the mechanics of it, but I'm not actually going to teach you or how to do that. Um, it's not... Nah. Don't no. sit right with me. <laughs> no, no. And it's similar when I see, you know, um, some people trying to multitask, take the dog for a walk while they do their, their outdoor gym stuff with, you know, there'll be a group training <laughs> yeah, yeah. setting yeah. and there's there's one particular person who does it at Centennial Park all the time and he stands there with a chucket for, for this dog and so for an hour while the... Dog's getting his exercise, isn't he? Oh, uh, but it... <laughs> the arousal in this dog... Yeah. Oh, he's an And it's for a whole hour, chucka chucka, and down a hill, chucka 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 chucka, and I see this dog multiple times a week and I'm like... 
that's that's not okay. That is not okay. That's not an enriching thing for that dog. He's hyper aroused. You can actually see pain in that back, the back legs of this dog. But because the dog keeps going because it's get dopamine dopamine dumps. It's like yeah, well you know I the dog gets exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, lower the expectations of your dog. (laughs) See you next week, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this week, guys. If you ever want to ask questions, give feedback, or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers Dog Advocate on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Canine Caregivers. I've had so many people reach out to me over the years, not knowing where to turn to online for reliable and consistent advice on how to raise a healthy and happy dog. The information out there is hard to navigate. It's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust. And frankly, some of it is just downright dangerous. That's why we created Canine Caregivers, a place where you can come and get educational resources and access a supportive community founded on the care approach for people just like you, whether you've just brought a dog into your life or you've got a dog that is experiencing some unwanted behaviors. The content is updated regularly and we constantly keep in touch with our members to make sure that we are bringing relevant and up-to-date content that truly matters to you. There's different tiers of membership for different needs. So you can be sure that you don't have to break the bank to access the information that can literally make all the difference to the quality of life between you and your dog. Head to caninecaregivers.com.au to learn more.